you're listening to Podiatry Marketing, conversations on building a successful podiatry practice with Tyson Franklin and Jim McDonald. Welcome back to Podiatry Marketing. I'm your host, Jim McDonald, joined as always by my trusty co-host, Tyson Franklin. Tyson, what's shaking today? Hey, big Jim. Uh, not a lot is shaking. Uh, I actually went to a musical oh, last week, went to a musical, a Grease musical, and there was a bit of shaking going on on that. And it was uh, first first high school musical I've been to, which was terrible. <laughs> usually, usually I go to high school musical. Yeah, when there's a musical in a high school, I quite enjoy them. I think always impressed with the talent and all that. So they were doing Greece, and I said to someone, other than the singing and the acting, it was really good. <laughs> uh, you know, teenagers, right? Uh, you know, the, there's kind of disparate amounts of talent and. Uh... Yeah, it sounds like you, you caught a bad one, but uh, what are you going to do? Yeah, well, it's, it's only a small school, and you can only draw on the talent pool that you have. But there's a really important lesson there, I think, even for podiatrists or any business. You, you know, if you've got a business, you've got a team there, you can only draw upon the talent that you actually have. So if you have someone who's not a, an, an expert surgeon in a particular area, can't do nail surgery, then you're not going to offer that service. So I think this high school musical, their director should have realised <laughs> What's our talent pool? Let's not do a musical. Maybe we should do something else for a change. Or if you know you're that bad, is take a spin on it and have a bit of a laugh. Actually add a few things in there to make it humorous so people realize we're not actually trying to seriously be good. But anyway, that was just my spin on it. However, in the end, like I said to somebody, as long as those kids had a good time and they walk away from it just going, I'm so glad we did it. Pretty much that's all that really matters. It doesn't matter what I think of it, as long as they had a good time. Yeah, for sure. They're just, uh, life is a, a work in progress, right? So maybe they'll, <laughs> they'll, they'll, they'll try again next time. And like I said, maybe they'll tailor towards the strengths of the, yeah, student, was it, the students. Life is a cabaret, just, uh, but degrees. obviously not on this particular night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there'll be days like that. Oh, yes. Mum always said there'll be days like that. But uh, getting back to podiatry, oh, what, yeah. are, what are we That's talking right. about? I forgot about that. We've actually got a podiatry marketing podcast, don't we? <laughs> Today's topic is the four Ps of marketing. What are those four Ps? I'm curious. Okay, the four Ps. I'm going gonna, gonna to run through what the four Ps are, and then we'll dig into them in a, in a little bit more detail. So we have product, which is also your service. We have price. We have place, which is your location. And then we also have promotion, what type of marketing that you're going to be doing. So that they are the four Ps. And I've got it written down here that it was E. Jerome McCarthy in 1960 came up with the four Ps in a book that he had called Basic Marketing, a Managerial Approach. Now, that's actually like, doesn't sound exactly right, does it? Basic Marketing, a Managerial Approach. Management and marketing in the same title just seems odd. Yeah, it's like combining your HR and your marketing departments together seems like uh, not the best <laughs> combination of resources. But, you know, I guess if you're small and scrappy, maybe that person will do two things, but kind of an odd title. I guess it's 1960, so Bit it is a 63-year-old uh, book. So Yeah, that's it. So you think of that title, probably in 1960, there weren't a lot of marketing books around like there are today. So management and marketing, they probably around that thought it was the same thing. But the four Ps of marketing still have stood the test of time since he first mentioned it in 1960. And the thing with the four Ps, you can look, we're going to look at them individually and you can use them individually, which every business should, but you can also combine them, which I'll talk about at the end, on why you should be looking at the four Ps 
more of a combination than just looking at them separately. Awesome. Sounds good. Okay. First one, product or whatever your particular service is. So this is something where podiatrists got to ask us, what is it that you're actually selling in your podiatry business? And think about, because podiatry is the service that you provide. An orthotic is just a product. And that's why I think it's product and service. The two of them actually go together. So what is it that you like doing more of in podiatry? And is that something that you, you're specializing in? And is that something that you want to really promote and tell the, the general public about? Or are you going to be more generalized? Are you going to just cover all aspects of podiatry? And that's what you're, you're eventually going to promote to your local community. No, that makes sense. Like like I talked about in the past, niching niching down or kind of like putting out the message you want your local community to know, like who you are and what you do. Uh, and obviously, you know, products and services, whether it be orthotics or, you know, the creation of an orthotic or, you know, what are those things that you want to offer to people and in, in kind of incorporate into your practice? Yeah, so you might love diabetic assessments. It might just be the thing that floats your boat. You could do them all day. You love high-risk feet. So that's a service that you're offering is treatment for the diabetic foot. So that service is technically your product in, in this part of the, the P. So what you want to do is, I think it's a good idea to get a, a piece of paper and write down all the things that you can actually do as a podiatrist. And then circle the ones that are things that if you got a, if you had a if if you woke up in the morning you had to be at work and they said you've got twenty patients booked in today and this is what you're actually going to be seeing what what are the things that come to mind that you'd really love to be doing throughout the day now if you want to see twenty different types of patients with twenty different problems then that's what you need to be telling people I couldn't do that I, I loved I would rather have my brain more focused on just specific areas but think about that. Whatever the service is or the product, whatever it is that you like doing the most is the thing that should be top of mind. And that should be the thing that when the general public is looking at your podiatry business, that is in the forefront. And this comes back, and we've said it how many times, whatever it is you love doing in podiatry, don't keep it a secret. If it was illegal, is there enough evidence to convict you that that's what you like doing? Yeah, I, I, I love that. You know, it's one of my favorite examples, and uh, not enough people take that to heart. And uh, you know, even looking at some web pages recently or some websites recently with uh, clinics, it's still very general. Um, you know, and there's nothing wrong with being a generalist, uh, but I definitely recommend if you want to see more of a certain type of patient, you take uh, Tyson's advice uh, to heart because uh, there's no way to better way to differentiate yourself and really highlight the services you want to do by making it visible to patients. Yeah, so the, the second P is price. What is it that you're going to be charging for your different services? There was uh, Jonathan Small, who, uh, podiatrist in the UK, he's been on my other podcast 10 times. We've done workshops together. and But we, we were doing a thing online once. We had a group of people online, a group of podiatrists online. And on a whiteboard, he sort of had this scale he said, what I want you to do is, and on one end of the scale, it has cheap, and the other end of the scale, it had expensive. He said, I want you to write down, it was all anonymous, so no one knew who was doing it, and we all made up fake names. I think I was Big Dog or something like that. And you had to write down what your initial consultation was for a general patient or for your initial, for initial, yeah. You had to write down what your fee was for an initial consultation. And, and we narrowed it down to being just a general consultation. So you had to write down on the board 
what your fee was, and then whether you were closer to the cheaper scale or to the more expensive scale. And what was really interesting, one of the people wrote, say, for example, $75, but they put it more towards the expensive scale. Another person had written $95, but they had actually put it further towards the cheaper scale. So they were $20 more, yet on the, the scale that we had done, they'd actually put themselves closer to cheaper than expensive, and the other person had done the exact opposite. So here they are charging different fees, but one thinks they're charging too much, and one thinks they're not charging enough, but there was a $20 difference between them in reverse of what was actually happening. Yeah, we each have kind of a different perception of who we are, what our practice is, and what we're charging. So I think it, it is helpful to uh, kind of uh, talk with others and, sh and share information to kind of uh, figure those things out. Yeah, and it could be anything. Yeah, you might have you know, like a gold pen. How much are you prepared to pay for that gold pen? Now, I might say, oh, that, yeah, that's a $100 pen. And somebody else might come along and say, oh, no, that's a $20 pen. So it's it, it really, it's it's your thinking, it's it, your experiences in your career so far all make a, have a big impact. And there's something a friend of mine said to me once, that someone has got to be the most expensive. So why not make it you? And it's a simple thing. We used to do that when I first started in Cairns, when, and once there were a few more podiatrists running around, every now and then we'd, we'd ring around just to find out what everyone was charging. And our goal was to always make sure we were the most expensive. If everybody else put their fees up or somebody jumped up a certain amount in a particular area, I have to beat it. I want to be the most expensive. And we would have patients say, ask a price about something. We'd tell them, they go, oh, wow, that's about $40 more than the podiatrist down the road. And I go, well, if, we're, if they're charging 85 and we charge 125, we must be doing something completely different. And they went, definitely. I said, so would you like a morning or afternoon appointment? They said, oh, afternoon appointment would be great. I've definitely seen that in some of the clinics I've worked with and, and some of the ones I've, I've observed. Definitely, um, you know, there's certain kind of, I would say, like trust signals. You know, sometimes you have someone that's the podiatrist for an NFL team or an NBA team. Yeah. Uh, the fact that they are treating those uh, professional athletes, they don't necessarily have to charge more if they don't want to, but it definitely gives them a bit of a license to really kind of uh, to, to, to raise their rates to what I think is a reasonable amount, but, you know, depending on how they're taking care of the patient. But you know, whenever you see that, uh, so and you know, Doctor So and So is treating the, I don't know, like Phoenix Suns or the Portland Trailblazers, it lends a certain amount of credibility. Um, and you know, obviously, you only have a certain amount of time uh, in each day to see patients, and by you know charging a little bit more um, for that great care you provide, you know, you can really focus and provide sometimes even better care because you're willing to, with a little bit more of a fee, you can spend more time and have a more personalized visit. Um, that's going to really satisfy the patients as opposed to, you know, charging low prices and running like, you know, into back and forth between 30 different patients during a day and not really providing great service. Yeah. And it's like you said, it's when you, if you're seeing certain teams or you're seeing certain patients that are a higher profile and people know that they would know that Michael Jordan doesn't go to see just anybody when he has a foot problem. If, he, if George Clooney had a foot problem, he's not going to go just anywhere. He's going to go to someone who has, has built up a bit of a reputation for themselves. So when you're in that position, you've got to make sure that you are charging more than everybody else. Whether you're better than them or not is not the point. It's a perception of being better because you charge more. I was talking to someone only this morning, and we were talking about the putting together this online course, and they, I said, how much are you going to charge it out at? And when they told me, I said, oh. I said, is it any good? And they went, yeah, yeah, it's really good. And I said, why are you only charging that? 
I said, as soon as you told me that fee, I just went, oh, it doesn't sound like it's a very good cause. I got them to almost triple it and they went, oh, do you reckon I could charge that? I said, now I would buy it. Because straight away, instead of charging 200, make it 600. Something that's worth $600, that's a course that's going to make me a better podiatrist, has far more credibility than a course that's 200. Yeah, definitely there's this kind of correlation between like value and what people think is quality with, with, the, with the amount of price, right? So if it's like super cheap, it's inex- super expensive, people are going to think it's cheap and it's not really worth the time. It's like if you try to give away something for free, yeah. people don't really care about it. But if it's, uh, it has a price um, and it's seen as something valuable to those folks, then they're more likely to go ahead and spend a little bit more for well, it. Well, have you ever been given a free T-shirt? You've been in an event, a conference, <laughs> and especially podcasting conference, we get so many T-shirts. And you and Jim, you and I need to go to a podcasting conference one day. You'll love it. Anyway. One of these days. We go to this podcasting conference and my wife said, whatever you do, do not come home with any more T-shirts. You've got like 200 T-shirts in your room. I said, yeah, I won't. I promise. Anyway, 10 T-shirts later. But what's really funny, some of those shirts, when I'm out there smoking meat, I'll put on one of those T-shirts on out there. And if it gets a bit of stuff on it, I don't care. It was a free T-shirt. Now, I've got a couple of other free T-shirts, which are just, I mean, super cool shirts that I'd never wear smoking because I try to look after them. But if I went and paid $50 for a T-shirt, there is no way I'm putting that shirt anywhere near my smoker because it holds value of $50, not a free T-shirt. So podiatrists need to understand when you're giving out your services too cheaply, people don't value the service. If you're making it uh, a lot more than they will actually value that. To a point, like when we were talking about that online course, I said to uh, said to them, if you're going to charge $2,000, then you'd want to have some street cred before <laughs> anyone's going to part with two grand. So it said you can have the course too cheap, no credibility, just right, or too expensive. So you've got to be like... Uh, you've got to find the sweet spot, right? Goldilocks, the Goldilocks principle. So basically trying to be the cheapest is just a race to the bottom. I was listening to a guy talk once and he was a marketing expert and he said he was working with a client and the client was in a small town, had a hairdressing salon and he said a guy across the road all of a sudden set up another hairdressing salon or barber shop and put a sign up that said $15 haircuts. He's like, how am I supposed to compete with that? He's charging $15. He said, ah, so they sat down and they put a big sign up. We fix $15 haircuts. (laughs) So it's... Yeah, trying to be the cheapest is really just a race to the bottom. You're the cheapest, so the next person wants to be the cheapest, and then somebody else wants to be the cheapest. And the only people that win in the end, and you see this like in beer companies and shoe companies, the only people that win in the end is the consumer. So it's great that your patients win, but in the end, every podiatry business needs to make a profit. So it's, it's really important to understand what all your expenses are and make sure you're charging enough that you walk away with a good profit at the end of the week that you feel good about yourself. You can provide for your family, put a roof over the head, you can educate your children and you can teach them the value of money and, and try and get out of that, that cycle of like a scarcity mentality. That's all put. Okay, next P is place or location. I'm sure when he came up with the four Ps, it was just place, but we've thrown in location <laughs> now as well. And this is where you're going to look at where your business is, one, yeah, is it easy to find? I think it's really important for a business to be easy to find. And it's also really good 
if there can be particular landmarks around it. Yeah, like easy parking is also great, but sort of landmarks where, yeah, oh, we're on, where my old clinic was, we're on Mulgrave Road, which is the main road going through Cairns, opposite Stockland Shopping Centre, post office end. If you're looking for a clinic, it was really easy to say, Mulgrave Road, yep, main road, Earlville Shopping Centre, main shopping centre, post office end, I know which end that is, look across the road, there we are, nice and easy to find. So it's really good if you're easy to find and there's prominent landmarks to sort of point things out. But other things like, are you going to have street front or are you going to be on the second, third, fourth floor of a building? Are you going to be on a main road or are you going to be like a, an offshoot to a main road? Are you going to be in a mall or are you going to be down a dark little arcade next to the tattoo shop and body piercing? That's <laughs> always a good look. At least there they would have some uh, autoclaves you could probably use for some of your instrumentation if, you, you know, if yours <laughs> broke down. You know, I mean, that's, that's the, I guess, the positive side of that. Yeah, there could be. A, I have seen that. I have gone down an arcade once and there was oh, nipple busters, whatever they're called, piercings, tattoo parlor, and there was this podiatry clinic dead smack in the middle of it. And it did not look promising. It had beige walls and worn carpet and stained seats. I mean, I'm just going, that is such a great representation of our profession. So... Anyway, I could go on for ages. <laughs> the, the fourth P is, oh, just going back to a place or a location, just if, if you happen to be in a location right now that isn't the best, yeah, you may have gone into a, a, a little shopping mall and you thought it was going to be good, but the parking hasn't worked out, is I always think if you're going to look for a new location, look much earlier than you think is don't wait until it's six months before your lease ends before you actually start looking somewhere else. It's look, if you've got a five-year lease, two years out, start looking because sometimes it takes a long time to find exactly what you want. And if financially your business has been going great, consider buying the next place. That was the best thing we ever did was buying the building that we eventually moved into because once I sold the business, we still own the building. So you're still getting the, the rents from it. And that can just be a longer process to, to basically sort through so just start a lot earlier i one of the mistakes i made one of many mistakes i made in my you made mistakes just a few <laughs> one of my mistakes made so i learned this from example uh from experience six months left in our lease and i said to the landlord and we'd been there for 10 years i'm not renewing so i burnt my bridge and we went looking i couldn't find anything no matter how hard I looked, I could not find a location. So anyway, with my tail between my legs, I went back and saw him and said, oh, you didn't really take what I said serious, did you? <laughs> I was just kidding around. And he didn't, didn't see the funny side of it. He said, I'll give you 12 months. I'll give you a 12 months extension. But if you have not re-signed for another five years at the end of 12 months, I'm booting you out. And I said, not a problem. I will find something. So I beat my chest. Thank God we found <laughs> We found something about 40 metres, 60 feet down the road from where we were, so it worked out in the end. Okay, full of stories, Jim. What's number, number, number four? Number four, what's number four? Number four is promotion or pretty much your marketing. So back in the day when he wrote his book about uh, management and marketing, he, he just put it all together as promotion. And these days you're looking at online promotion or offline promotion. Your online is... Your website, mentioned that really early on. There's some dodgy looking podiatry websites out there that 
you look through them and you just go, you need to catch up with what everybody else is doing. In addition, on, on you've got all your social media channels, is you can't do them all. You can't, you can be on every platform, and I think you should own the name of your business on every platform, but you can't, you, I don't think you have the mental capabilities of being really good on every single platform. This is more your wheelhouse, Jim, what do you reckon? No, I totally agree. I think, especially when you're getting started, you know, getting your your name of your clinic on all those platforms is really important because uh, it's an easy kind of link back to your website. But at the same time, like you said, if you're trying to do seven or eight different social media channels and start it all up at once, maybe you or someone in your staff can like kind of get on that hamster wheel and kind of ride it out for a month or two. But at some point, uh, it's just not sustainable uh, unless you know you're high, have someone full time doing mm. it. Um, but you want to start with one channel and then be really, really good on that channel, whether it's LinkedIn or Facebook or, um, you know, if you're making TikTok dances, like I know you like to make TikTok dances, Tyson. So, you know, uh, pick out one of those. Exactly. We're going to do, we should do one on here one day, Jim. Just, (laughs) I don't think anybody wants to see that from me, maybe from Uh, you, um, but not from me. But I think it is important to like focus on that first one and really get good with it. Um, you know, Instagram can be a good way, you know, like you mentioned earlier, um, you know, if you're seen as kind of the expert in your area or you have, you know, famous people or there's, there's things you want to highlight in a real genuine, authentic way, you know, a few TikTok, you know, a few Instagrams or a a post or two on Facebook each week um, could be a good way of getting started, but you definitely don't want to bite off more than you can chew and really try to commit to like too many channels and just do them all poorly. And then, like I said, burn out after two months and then, it looks kind of silly having posts from, you know, five years ago be your most recent post on uh, some of these channels. Yeah, I always find that. I get a chuckle out of that. But also, if you're going to use a company to help you with your social media who's not Jim, why you would, I don't know. You go to Jim first. But I've seen some of these big companies, and I can tell podiatrists that are using big companies to do all the social media posts because they are boring. They are just boring. There's these just generic Post going, oh, do you have this problem? I go, no one has that problem. So why are you posting it? But then you'll look at other podiatrists and you know they must be using the same company because it's the same information that's being posted. It's dull, it's irrelevant, and the only three likes on there are the business owner, the receptionist, and the business owner's mum. <laughs> and that's and that's all exactly. the, the all the river is. And then when you even have a look at the followers that are there, there's 187 people that follow their page. But the clinic's been around 10 years. So the business isn't putting any effort at all into trying to grow that social media page, but they're paying a company to just go and put ridiculous posts in there, which no one's seeing anyway. For sure. So, And then this also applies to like offline marketing. There's so many different things that you can do offline, but I think one of the biggest things when it comes to promoting is just really connecting with your community every opportunity you can get. And that is the difference between the podiatrist that runs and owns their business to some of these clinics that are run by, that are being taken over by corporate companies. Like I sold mine to a corporate. You can really see the difference between when I was in there managing it and owning it compared to how they run it now, where it's just a faceless corporate entity that's running it. And they really don't, they don't care what's happening in the community. Yeah, it's unfortunate when that kind of happens, right? Like it's just uh, you get a bunch of employees that don't necessarily have ownership uh, in the business and they're there to kind of work their nine to five. And 
you know, maybe they'll do something occasionally in the community, but when it's your business and, you know, you're, you're someone that really wants to, you know, grow it and be known for a certain aspect of the care you provide, you know, there all, there are all these offline ways to, you know, become known, uh, provide value to not only the community, but also to your fellow healthcare providers in your local area. Um, and it's just one of those things that can kind of snowball over a period of time, but you have to really buy in and it is, uh, you know, small businesses, including podiatry clinics are hard work. Oh yeah. And, you got to you got to build that network of people and um, put it put in the time. Yeah, so I think when it comes to promotion, there's three parts to it. You've got you got online, you got offline, and the third one that I like to mention, which I don't think I've mentioned this to you before, Jim, is I call it inline. Inline, and to me, inline the, skates. Yeah, yeah. The inline part is really it, it's inline or it's aligned, basically, with your branding. Whatever it is, the brand is that you. Whatever it is you're trying to build up about your business, whether you're using, whether your promotion is offline or online, is just making sure it is aligned with your particular business and, and everything that you're actually doing. Which leads me to the big question at the end. And I said this is how he mentioned in his in his book that you can look at these individually, which I think everyone should spend the time, look at each of the four P's individually. But when it in the end, when you're combining, well, there's a big question you can ask yourself, and it's like, where are your ideal patients looking? So where are you going to market your particular business for the podiatry services or the product that you're going to offer? And once you know who you're going to market to, are they prepared to pay your price? Because that's a really important thing. People might say, I want this particular patient who want, who does this. And they go, that's great. You know, I want more athletes. I want more tri- you know, people who are in triathlons. Okay. But can they afford to pay your services? If they can't, then maybe you need a different type of patient. No, I think that's kind of like we talked about niching down your practice, right? If you're uh, if you're living in like Kansas and you want to treat skiers, you know, Kansas, just so you know, Tyson's a very flat, like uh, farmland state. There's really no mountains in uh, Kansas whatsoever. That's where Dorothy's but from. If you're isn't trying it? to, you know, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. There's no place like yeah. home. Um, but if you're trying to be like the expert skier podiatrist or make a lot of ski orthotics, probably like Topeka, Kansas is not going to be the spot for you. So, you know, like you talked about, you know, got to find, know what you, you know, know the patients you want to treat, make sure you're lo- you know, you have that location. <laughs> uh, and then, like you said, are they prepared to pay? So some of those, those factors that kind of triumvirate, or I guess the, uh, the, the, the kind of the rectangle of, uh, <laughs> Of, of of peas is like in alignment otherwise um it may not work out yeah and I, and I really think it's just like i said look at them individually but remember whenever you're going to do anything you're really combining those four p's to just help help your podiatry business so that is it jim with me for this week for the four p's i hope everyone pays attention to at least one of those p's today and uh yeah i'll look forward to talking again next week Sounds good, Tyson. Okay, see you later. Bye now. Thanks for listening to Podiatry Marketing with Tyson Franklin and Jim McDonald. Subscribe and learn more at Podiatry Marketing. That's the website address, podiatry.marketing.